Well, um, back in around about 2008, I moved to Melbourne uh, to become a theological student and uh, not too long after that, uh, one of the ministers in Melbourne put, uh, spent a whole heap of money to do some advertising for his church. Uh, and it got a lot of attention and let me read to you from an article in The Age, Melbourne kind of masthead, uh, about uh, this uh, particular minister's work. Uh, so this is from The Age on the 16th of September in 2008. The Ten Commandments, one of the most negative documents ever written, with that provocative claim posted high over two city streets, controversial cleric Francis McNabb yesterday launched a new faith for the 21st century, a faith beyond Orthodox Christianity. Dr McNabb says Abraham is probably a concoction, Moses was a mass murderer, and Jesus Christ just a Jewish peasant who certainly was not God. In fact, there is no God in the usual sense of an interventionist deity. What we strive for is a presence both within and beyond us. McNabb, a noted psychotherapist and executive minister at St Michael's Uniting Church in the city, said the new faith was necessary because the old faith no longer worked. The old faith is in large sections unbelievable. We want to make the new faith more believable, realistic and helpful in terms of the way people live, he said. Well, that was an interesting introduction to the new city in which I uh, was studying theology. Uh, and uh, on his website, you would find statements like this. The real future of the Judeo-Christian path is a secular one. Far from being the enemy of Christianity, the truly secular life is the legitimate continuation of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, to leave Jesus is, of course, uh, the, the end goal of where this whole thing's been heading this whole time. And uh, if you uh, didn't think any of that was crazy enough... Uh, leading with the Ten Commandments are the most negative documents ever written. Uh, of course, if you make that claim, you better write ten new ones, which he did. Uh, the gumption. And I'll just read you the first two. Believe in a good presence in your life. Call that good presence God or GD and follow that good presence so that you live life fully, tolerantly, collaboratively, generously and with dignity. Believe in a God presence in your life that will lift you constantly to live harmoniously in yourself and with others, always searching for your best health and happiness. That's nice. It's not negative. Uh, it's, it's, he, might, he might find some negative consequences one day, but uh, nonetheless, um, uh, here we go. Now... I went to uh, Francis McNabb's church one Sunday morning uh, and it was a very interesting experience. Uh, as I walked up the stairs to uh, sit uh, up in the top part of this old uniting church, uh, I had to walk past like a huge portrait of, uh, of him uh, that I almost felt like I needed to uh, sort of genuflect before uh, as I went up to my uh, chair and then uh, as I sat up there I could see uh, these beautiful stained glass windows that were full of the stories of Matthew's gospel 
But what was more interesting was when I went downstairs after the service, they'd taken out all the stained glass windows downstairs where the majority of people uh, sit and replaced them with new ones with quotes from his latest book. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then we had this really most bizarre thing they called communion, which uh, looked nothing like anything uh, like Jesus talked about. It was really uh, quite a shocking and strange experience. Well, to John is a short but helpful book uh, because it's concerned, uh, as we would expect from John, uh, with orientating us around the truth and around love. And I hope you're not getting sick of being told week after week after week as we go through John's letters, truth and love, truth and love, truth and love, because uh, this is what John wants to uh, really get in our heads, that we need to have these two things and we need to hold these two things together and we need to make sure that we're constantly testing uh, and rejecting nonsense even if it's hanging above the city streets and claiming to be a better and new and fancy way forward. And we'll actually see that uh, these McNabs and uh, the Bowers, as we talked about a few weeks ago, like him, uh, think they're onto something new, but in fact they're, they're just as old and stale as the first false teachers. So... Let's have a look at 2 John. Now, the interesting thing about 2 John is uh, both uh, its authorship and its recipient. And, of course, when you're reading the Bible, this is one of the jobs that you need to do to try and understand what it is that you're reading, is figure out who wrote it and who did they write it to, especially when it's a letter. And we see here that we have uh, John identify himself as, simply as the elder in verse 1, uh, and so he doesn't say, my name's John, but uh, it's been the accepted wisdom of many scholars for many, many thousands of years, or a couple of thousand of years almost, uh, that uh, this elder is John himself, uh, and he has all the similar phraseology, uh, the similar themes to uh, his gospel and his other letters. So we're on pretty solid ground to say this is indeed the second letter of John. But who did he write it to? the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth. <coughs> so who is that? Well, uh, as you can imagine, there have been many guesses for who the chosen lady is. And uh, as I've sifted through and wondered about who it might be, I think that I've come to this conclusion, which is the best uh, understanding is that uh, John, as he's prone to do, particularly in books like Revelation, uh, is speaking in metaphoric terms and he's using uh, this uh, idea of the, the, the chosen woman by God to simply refer to, to the church. And we've got good grounds for this kind of thing because there's a whole variety of places throughout the scriptures where God's people are referred to as a wife or a bride or a mother or a, a daughter to, to God as father. 
And so uh, the, the kind of uh, feminine reference to the people of God is uh, something that we're, we're not unexpected to see in Scripture. And so I think what we have here is a letter from the elder, from John, to the church, the lady chosen by God and her children, to all uh, who will follow uh, in the faith of Christ. And he writes this letter to warn the church, to warn us about holding on to the truth of Jesus in the face of false teaching and to go on loving one another. So let's have a look at those two themes. After that initial greeting in verses 1 through 3, John uh, begins by saying that he is overjoyed that the members of the church are walking in the truth. Verse 4, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in truth, just as the Father has commanded us. And we've seen, haven't we, as we've been working our way through uh, John's first letter, that this theme of sticking to the truth of of the gospel revealed in Jesus Christ is a very important thing for John. And, in fact, uh, it's possibly uh, a fact that there's a lack of truth or there are, there are Christians who are walking away and trying to lead others away that has caused John to write this letter and to, to uh, encourage them to stick with the truth. Look at verses 7 and 9. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. It seems like there are these people going out from the church into the world and they don't believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They don't believe that he is the only way to salvation. And of course, this is the exact position we find ourselves in today, whether it's Francis McNabb or uh, any other false teacher. There are people who go out from the church and deny that Jesus Christ was the word of God made flesh, that Jesus Christ lived a real life, that he died a real death. It might shock you to learn that there are ministers who don't believe in the resurrection. I would have thought at that point you pack your bags and go home and scan groceries at Coles. They deny that he is the one who has the power to save us from our sins. They potentially deny even that sin is a problem. But to deny any of these things is to deny God. Once you walk away from the gospel, you've walked away from God himself. And John uh, is constantly warning the church about this because it's uh, a constant feature of church life. It was a constant feature for the early church. It's a constant feature for us. And you'll remember back in chapter 2 of John's first letter where, again, he used similar language. You have heard uh, uh, that the Antichrist is coming, verse 18 of chapter 2 of 1 John. Even now, many Antichrists have come. 
these who deny, verse 22, that Jesus is the Christ, denying the Father and the Son. These deceivers, these antichrists, these false teachers, they go out from the church, they deny Jesus, and though they claim to have some path of greater enlightenment, have actually left God far behind. And I think that's the ironic thing as we consider uh, our modern-day false teachers, is that so often uh, they are setting up a new faith or a more enlightened faith or something that's going to be better for you uh, that's more interesting than that kind of old, staid and boring thing that, you know, Christians have believed forever. But, of course... There's nothing new about their ideas. Uh, They're all well chronicled throughout church history. Uh, They're the same heresies repeated again and again and again. To use a phrase, uh, it's, it's, it's lipstick on a pig. And John tells the church that they must be on their guard against these kind of people. Watch out, he says in verse 8. He says, if we get the truth of the gospel wrong by following a false teacher, uh, then though we might be walking down that path for enlightenment or for a better life, we're actually going to lose God. And so John is concerned. He's concerned for us. He was concerned for these first Christians. Stick to the truth. Stick to Jesus. And of course... Truth is not a mere academic thing for John. Truth is also intimately connected to our way of life. Truth is directly connected to love. Look back in verses 4 to 6 of 2 John. It has given me great joy to find some of your, some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady... I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands, as you have heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. John's overjoyed that people are resisting the false teaching and sticking with Jesus. But there's more to it than that. That is, that's the starting point of a life that is transformed by the power of the gospel to overflow with the love of God. For John, a belief in Jesus Christ transforms a person into someone who loves. Truth for John is not mere academics, it is the transformative power of God. You don't hold on to one without the other. You haven't grasped the truth if it's not uh, by God's spirit empowering you to live a life of love. They go together. You can't separate them. John holds these two things together in other places as well, doesn't he? You'll remember in chapter 3 of 1 John. And this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Truth and love together as a, a, a packaged deal. 
And uh, unless we run off uh, on some fanciful idea about love, as we've talked about in previous weeks, John again sets us straight. And this is love, says John, (coughs) excuse me, in verse 6, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. To love is to walk in obedience to God's commands and to love one another. Well, what does that look like? We get a little bit more of that in verse 7. It looks like keeping each other connected to the faith. Let me read it, verse 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. If we love each other, then uh, what we do is not simply uh, the nice parts of love. Uh, I think uh, this is where our mind goes first when we think of, of love. And these are important things to do, but being uh, uh, patient with each other, caring for each other when we're in need, cooking a meal, uh, uh, asking how each other's going, these sorts of nice, caring, uh, lovely things to do. But love for John as well is about keeping each other on the straight and narrow, keeping each other walking in the truth reminding each other of that truth, doing things like correcting and rebuking uh, each other when we seem to be walking away from Jesus. And that doesn't feel as nice to do. That's what I might term tough love, because it's hard. And of course, uh, it, it can be easy to do that second kind of love out of a place of, of sort of h- harsh, cynical self-righteousness. Uh, and so we need to check our hearts. But true love for our brothers and sisters in Christ won't allow them to jeopardise their salvation, won't allow them to wander off onto the latest and greatest trend. It will reveal to those people and try and help them understand when they've been caught up in the latest false teachings. It'll help them uh, understand when their lives are not living up to the commands of God, when there's a lack of love for others. We need to show real love and concern for people who are struggling, both physically and spiritually. And when we do this, then we make the work of the deceivers, the antichrist, that much harder. For it is a lack of love that allows someone to go around with uncertain beliefs, get caught up in the latest fad. But a loving church calls them back to the gospel. Love is not always easy. You'll know that if you uh, have had any kind of uh, close relationship with a friend, with a spouse, with a child. There are times when 
your love causes you pain or means you have to do hard things. And John, uh, in fact, tells people that uh, out of a, a place of love, he doesn't want them to show hospitality to false teachers. Verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that is the gospel, the, the, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, this is a little bit hard to just kind of understand exactly what John means here. And you might at this point go, hang on a second, doesn't Jesus say we should love our enemies? And Jesus does and we should. And doesn't Jesus say we should pray for those who persecute us and make life dif difficult for us? Absolutely, he does and he should. Go and read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 or the Sermon on the Plain, Luke 6. But what we need to understand here is that uh, for the first century Christian, the offer of hospitality to a false teacher was to imply recognition of that person as being with you. The same dynamics are not at work for us today. If you have someone to your house for a meal, uh, people understand that to you being just being a nice, a nice person, a generous person. No one thinks because you had someone into your house for a meal that you're necessarily agreeing with, with everything that they've ever said in their life. But in, in the first century, uh, if someone turned up in your town and you were the one who offered hospitality to them, then they essentially became part of, 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 of you and your family. It, it was to imply welcome uh, and recognition. And so John's saying, you just can't do that with these false teachers because... Uh, you'll communicate the wrong thing to, the, to your fellow brothers and sisters and to the community in which you live. Instead, you need to show them some tough love and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to welcome you. And what that looks like for us today is a difficult thing to figure out, but I think uh, part of that idea of uh, having that barrier of saying, hey, you know what, you've actually walked away from the truth and, and there's something wrong here and, and, and it's significant and it's serious. I think for us as an Anglican church, uh, that looks like welcoming anyone to all of our, our programs and, and our services. But when it comes to that next step into, into leadership roles, we expect certain beliefs and practices and expectations we, we put a bar in place to help people understand the importance of the gospel, of truth and love going together. And with that, I wanted to pause and reflect on truth and love and Linda's farm. Uh, many of you were at the dinner last night, and in some ways this is a rehash of what I said there. But it was great, uh, as I read through that vision input, to see over and over again people say that they loved many things about our church, but in particular our commitment to the truth and their experience of being loved here. Now, of course, we're not perfect, but it's encouraging 
to see that we, we seem to be on the right track, that we can read John's letters and take encouragement from them as well as things to do. And so I think we need to remember that as we look forward and as we think about what's next, that if we want to be a church that grows its influence into our community, that sees people come to faith, then we're going to need to keep our focus on these two things that John holds so dearly and that we need to hold dearly too. Truth and love. And in particular, I think we need to consider what it looks like for us to grow in our love. Both the nice things of love, sharing our lives with each other, being open with each other, having each other around for meals, inviting strangers into our lives and getting to know them, caring for people's needs when they arise. But also the harder things of love. Not letting our friends or our family members, our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, go around with wonky uh, theology, walking away from the truth, being shaky on the foundation of our faith, the, the life, death and resurrection of Christ. When was the last time you heard someone say something or do something that seemed really out of line with your, their professed Christian faith and you lovingly and caringly and with a spirit that was uh, for them, not for proving your own self-righteousness, but that was for them, uh, took them aside and, and tried to kind of understand where they were at and tried to help them to walk in truth. When was the last time when someone did that to you, you responded with grace and thankfulness for this person loving you enough to just have the conversation? This is not easy. It's not easy to bring up these sorts of things, to have these hard conversations. I know that when I've been confronted about things, my my literal first reaction, almost always in my sinful heart, is to prove myself righteous. Someone comes to me and says, hey Chris, you know what, that thing you did the other day, not so sure that was really what Christians should do. I go, well, I'm a, I'm a better Christian than you are, so what can you, you know, ha! And, you know, that's not a great place for this kind of conversation to go forward from. Someone's worked up the guts to have a difficult conversation because they love you. Let me encourage you to work up the grace and the, and the acceptance to listen, to take it on board, and for both parties to understand that there might be something there or there might be nothing there. But a loving community based on the gospel will care for each other's needs and will care for each other's faith. And whatever we do as a church going forward, 
My prayer is that we will be a community known for our commitment to the truth, but also for our outrageous and radical love in both the nice and tough forms. And as we keep working on those things and holding those things uh, tightly, to those things tightly, then I believe that God's light will shine brightly from this place, from our hearts, to the world around us. Amen. Amen.